Then David fled from Nioth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? Where is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he, Jonathan, said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. And then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I shall not fail to sit at table with the king. King, but let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant, but if he is angry, you know that harm is determined by him. Therefore deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there was guilt in me, kill me yourself." For why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father to harm, that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? And David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, Shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go away safety. in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut me off, do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand, and remain beside the stone heap, and I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the young man, saying, Go, find the arrows. If I say to the young man, Look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them. Then you are to come, for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times on the seat by the wall, Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. And Saul did not say anything that first day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty, and Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go. 
for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father has, had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy, and he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him, and when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master, but the boy knew nothing only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. And so ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, this is your word. We pray that you would speak to us clearly. Would you show us the, the majesty of your covenantal grace to us, of your love, which is so undeserved, and yet you freely bestow it upon us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Bless our time. Bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It was now clear to David that Saul was plotting to take his life. At first, David did what he could to be a blessing to his master. He played his lyre. His soothing music, he fought the Philistines. He even earned the right to become the king's son-in-law. There were the incidences with the, the, the two spear throwings, but David probably just chalked that up to the mad ravings of a troubled soul. Perhaps he could calm him down with his playing. And, but then Jonathan told him, that his father intended to kill him. But then Jonathan went to try to talk down Saul from this unreasonable rage. And when Jonathan came back, he assured him, no, I've talked my father down. He is, uh, he's taken an oath. He is not going to kill you. And so everything seemed okay. But when that third spear throw came from Saul's hand, it seemed more intentional. And then added to that were his wife's words, which he heard in, from her voice saying, you, you need to get out of here. You need to flee, for if you are still here in the morning, my father will kill you. 
Then he rushed to Samuel at Ramah, and he heard his own voice recounting to Samuel all the things that Saul had done, and it became even more real in his own mind. And then the messengers came, Saul's messengers, first one wave, and then another wave, and then a third wave. And uh, David perceived that these messengers were there to get him, and yet his God had prevented them from capturing him as the Spirit overtook them, and they began prophesying. But then all of a sudden, Saul himself showed up. But even he stripped off his robe. Even he fell on his face naked. Even he began to prophesy. And so David took the opportunity that he had with Saul incapacitated to run back to Jonathan, his friend, for security. Now, Jonathan had his own perspective on the matter. Jonathan, of course, loved David as his own soul after seeing David defeat Goliath. Their souls were knit together as a kindred spirit, and Jonathan had made a covenant with David. While it had taken the powerful hand of God in the spirit to strip Saul of his royal robes, it had just been the gentle spirit of love in Jonathan to take off his royal robes and give them to David. He had nothing but love and admiration for David, and so he was confused when Saul said to Jonathan and the servants, I want you to put David to death. And so Jonathan, of course, went and, and mediated for his friend and asked him, what has he done? Why would you put him to death? He's not done anything against you. He's been a blessing to you. And, Jonathan, and Saul appeared to listen to him. He took an oath. He swore, certainly David will not be put to death. And so, imagine his surprise when now David comes breathless in a panic and says to Jonathan, Jonathan, your father is seeking to put me to death. Jonathan thought to himself, it can't be. It certainly can't be. Yes, he wanted to put him to death. But that's old news. I went and I talked to him. I reasoned with him. He gave me his word. He said, David, are you... Are you sure? Uh, my father tells me everything that, he's, that, he's, that he does, whether great or small. He's not told me anything about this. Are you sure he's really trying to put you to death? Or are you just being paranoid? No, I'm, I'm sure, Jonathan. <laughs> he said, my, your father knows how much you love me. He saw how you intervened, how you sought to talk him out of putting me to death the last time. He knows he doesn't want to grieve you. He doesn't, probably want, doesn't want you to stop him this time. I assure you that he is seeking to kill me. I, I, I am but one step from death. In fact, with those spear throws, I was quite literally one step away from death. And Jonathan said, so, okay, so what do you want me to do? And David said, test my suspicion. See, find out your father's true intent. Tomorrow is the new moon festival, the new moon feast. I'm not going to go. I'm going to hide. You go, and you explain, you give him a story of why I'm not there. And if he says, uh, tell, tell him I had to go home for a, a, an annual feast with my family. And if he says, good, well, then I was wrong. Then, uh, you know, it's all, it's all just unreasonable paranoia. I'll come 
and I'll be restored. But if, he's, if he goes angry with you, then you know. You know that he is there to harm me. But oh, Jonathan, if he does, I know he is your father. I know he is the king. But please, deal kindly with me. Remember your covenant with me. Do, tell me his answer. Protect me. Give me an opportunity to escape. And Jonathan said, surely I will do this for you. Of course, John, David also said something else. I don't know if you noticed this. He also said, he said, Jonathan, if there's, if there's guilt in me, if I have done this, kill me yourself. Don't even hand me over to your father. Beloved, that's a remarkable statement. That, that is a picture of true godly humility and the necessary approach for us in Christ Jesus to, to handle conflict is to begin by looking to our own guilt and our own culpability. And when we talked last week about the blindness that comes as a result of sin, Saul was absolutely blind to his irrational, unreasonable, selfish sin. Well, David is blameless. David hasn't done anything wrong, and yet he still recognizes the capacity that he has to be blind to his own sin. And did you notice the very first words that he said to Jonathan at the beginning of the chapter? He comes rushing back to Jonathan. He says, what have I done? Where is my guilt? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? The grace of God, shining light into our hearts, revealing the blindness of our sin, teaches us to look first to our own guilt, our own culpability before approaching uh, another. It, it may be, like David, that we are blameless in a matter, that we are innocent, but usually there is plenty of guilt to go around. Jesus ta taught us, before you go and take a speck out of your brother's eye, take the log out of your own eye, that log that blinds us to our own guilt, our own sin in the matter. That ought to be, that must be the first place that we look before we go blaming someone else for conflict or the unhappiness in our life. And in fact, David had this, and he, he teaches us to pray that way. Too. Psalm 7, which is attributed to David, he, he, he teaches us to pray like this. He says, Lord, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, let my enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Oh, brothers and sisters, if we understand the blindness that sin can create in us, that is a bold prayer. Who of us has a, the confidence that we know our own heart well enough to say to the Lord, if I am not innocent, let me be trampled in the dust. And yet David teaches us to pray that way. And David takes that very action here with Jonathan. He says, Jonathan, if I am guilty, kill me yourself. 
course, Jonathan says, far from it. He has been his biggest defender. He had gone to Saul before, and he said, what has he done? He's innocent. He's blameless. He's been a blessing. And here he says, you are innocent. But he agrees to the test. He agrees that he will go and give this message to Saul, see what happens. But he also makes a covenant. He reaffirms the covenant that he has made with with John or with with David, he says, "I will I, as surely as the Lord lives, I will go and do this, and as surely as the Lord lives, I will come and I will tell you. And if my father seeks to hurt you, I will provide a means of escape, a means of salvation. But I don't know if you noticed, but he's also looking to the future, and this covenant involves not just him and David, but the house of Jonathan, the house of David." And he says, he says, may the Lord be with you as he was with my father. That is to say, may the Lord be with you as you take the kingship, as you take the throne to rule as king over God's people, just as he was with my father. And if I am still alive to see that day, he says, please do not take my life or the life of my descendants, as is the custom of all the kingdoms of this world. They would come and they would kill all the entire family of the previous king. He says, please, show mercy to me. I am hiding myself in you, just as you are hiding yourself in me. He says, and may God grant vengeance on the enemies of David. So they proceeded to the test. David went and hid in the field, and Jonathan went to the feast and Saul, with his laser focus, attention on bringing David down, noticed David wasn't there. And he, in his own mind, began to concoct the, the explanation for that. And his explanation was, oh, well, there must have been something that created ritual uncleanness. He's unclean. Surely he's unclean. That's why he's not here. Apparently, Saul was so blind that it didn't occur to him that David perhaps didn't show up to have dinner with the king who is obsessed with killing him. But that ritual uncleanness, most, most of those were only until evening. And so the next day rolls around and there's no more excuse with respect to ritual uncleanness. And so Saul sees that he's not there again. And this time he wants to know the reason. And he says to Jonathan, why has the son of Jesse not been at dinner at the feast, even last night or tonight. And Jonathan relays the tale that he and David had concocted. Oh, he went to, his brother commanded him to go home to this uh, annual feast. And Saul did not bite the tail. He flipped out. Now, Jonathan may have let slip the truth of the matter when he gives the explanation, and he puts the words of David uh, to, to Saul. He said, uh, oh, he said to me, uh, let me get away to my brothers. Let me, let me get away so I may see my brothers. So the word he uses there is, uh, is, it could really be translated, let me escape and go see my brothers. It's the same word that Saul had used when he went to his daughter, Michal, and said, why have you let my enemies escape? And now Saul, Jonathan is saying, he asked me, let me, get, let me escape. And Saul explodes in this verbal tirade. And he says, 
And this is verse 30. You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse as your own, to your own shame and the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established, for he uh, will be established as long as he's alive. Now, it's, it's, it's possible that those were not the exact words that came out of Saul's mouth, but this is a sanitized version of what he said, but the point is clear. Saul assaulted his son with a verbal outburst of obscenities. He hurled this, the, this insults like daggers at his son, and he was willing to shame his own wife, to demean his own wife in the outburst of anger towards his son. But did you notice the, uh, the central core of his anger? He said, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse? You've chosen the son of Jesse. You picked your sides. You know I am trying to kill him. You chose him. Do you not understand what you are giving up, you foolish son? You are giving up the kingdom. As long as he's alive, the kingdom is his. What is wrong with you? And he didn't seem to believe Jonathan's story either, because then he says, uh, send and bring the son of Jesse to me. He must have suspected that David was hiding somewhere that only Jonathan knew. So he sent his son to find him and bring him, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan, again, stood up to defend his friend. Why? Why must he die? What has he done? What's the reason for this? And in answer, rather than hurling any more insults, Saul just picked up the spear and hurled that at his son. And then Jonathan knew his father's true intent, and he rose in fierce anger, so overcome with his grief for David that he couldn't eat. And the next day he went out to the field for their appointed meeting, and he brought with him a little boy uh, who would fetch the arrows, and in accordance with the symbol, the sign that they had set, Jonathan fired an arrow. When the boy got to the arrow, Using the predetermined message, Jonathan said to the boy, Oh, the arrow, is it not beyond you? Beyond you. Keep running, running, hurry, get it. Go get that, that arrow quickly. The boy didn't know what he was being told. He was just following orders to get the arrow. But what David knew, the message was for David. It was concealed from the boy. So the boy fetched the arrows Brought him to his master, Jonathan, sent the boy with the weapons back to the city. And David came out from hiding. And in thankful and reverent humility, he bowed before Jonathan. And the men, these brothers, these dear friends, they knew that David had to go. And so they embraced. They kissed one another. They wept with David weeping the most. And as David prepared to leave, Jonathan said, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. 
David, whose life would become, he would go on the run, a life full of affliction and fear of pursuit from enemies outside of God's people, within God's people. He said, peace be with you. And David went in peace. Beloved, as we meditate on this uh, beautiful story, there are two points, two matters of teaching that I think we need to highlight that we can get from this text that are very important for us. And the first is the matter of revelation. Revelation is a major theme in this story, not the book of Revelation at the end of our Bibles, but the act of revealing the truth, uncovering the truth for us to see. It was David who was uh, trying to understand his experience where Saul seemed to be pursuing him, and he came to Jonathan and offered up his suspicion, but Jonathan doubted the accusation on the basis of the fact that it had not been revealed to him. He believed that his father revealed, disclosed everything to him, whether small or great, but his father had not told him. And David proposed that perhaps the reason why Jonathan didn't know about it was because his father was concealing it from him. He, he knew that Jonathan loved David, and so he didn't want him to know. He didn't want him to be grieved. And so they concocted a test to reveal, to uncover Saul's true intentions. And when he had uncovered it, through this conversation, then Jonathan came to reveal the true matter to David, but using a symbol, a sign that was known to David, but concealed to the boy who was involved in in the sign itself. And beloved, revelation is, is essential for us. We, like David, seek to understand our experience, the things that happen to us in our interactions with one another. We try to understand things through the things that people do, but it is only by revealing the thoughts and intentions of a man's heart or the heart of God do we truly know what things mean. I mean, you see somebody smile, you see somebody frown, you see a blank expression on somebody's face. What does that mean? Well, it can mean all sorts of things, whether they're smiling or frowning or they have a blank stare. The only way that you know what it means is when they reveal to you, when they share their mind, their heart, of what they're thinking. So it is with our God. We, we live our lives experiencing what we do. We experience blessing. We feel like we have God's smile. We experience affliction. We feel like we have God's frowning providence. Often we feel like we have God's blank stare. Like, is he even thinking about us? Is he paying attention to us? Does he have more important things to worry about? Does he even notice who we are? What, am I on, on this journey all alone? And for us to understand things rightly, we need to understand the mind of God. We need to understand the heart of God. He has to reveal it to us. He has to condescend to us. He has to speak for us to know. And that's what God has done. Graciously. He has graciously chosen to reveal his thoughts, his heart to us. He revealed them in the prophets. He revealed them in the apostles. And he, they all 
tell us that he reveals himself perfectly in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. In, if we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, we see the fullness of his wisdom. We see the fullness of his heart for us. We see the fullness of his, his affection and his attention for us. His wisdom, his creative glory. And when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, what we see is we see his wrath and his holiness and his anger towards sin, his, his insistence on justice coupled with his kindness and his mercy and his grace towards us. We see the, his only means of salvation his only way of righteousness. He shows us that he loved us enough to give his only son. We see a supreme love that gave his most treasured possession. We see the severity of his wrath poured out on the cross. We see the fullness of his grace as that was for us. That was our sin nailed to the cross in Jesus Christ. We see the fullness of his mercy and that he did this out of his love for us, that believing in him, we have salvation. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, knew everything of the Father's will, whether small or great, and he came to reveal it in himself. For us to know God's heart, we have to look at Jesus Christ. If we want to know how God would have us live, we must look at Jesus Christ. We see his affection for us, his particular affection. We see it in Jesus Christ. And he has came to reveal that to us, and he has done so. But this message of Jesus Christ is revealed to some and not to others. It came, comes in the sign of the cross of Jesus Christ. There we see the love of God. We see it in the sign of a babe born of a virgin. We see it in the sign of Jonah as Jesus was buried and raised to new life. And that is signs that mean something to those who see it through the eyes of spiritual enlightenment. Jesus said, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and learned but you have revealed them to little children. The Apostle Paul said these things are spiritually discerned, that there is the natural man who fails to see these things, that they are plain and evident, and that it requires God's sovereignty, his purpose of revelation of his spirit to enlighten our eyes. Beloved, have you seen the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you seen God's love in Jesus Christ? Have you seen the way of escape from the wrath of God in the person of Jesus Christ? This is our salvation when we see it, and we see it through hearing it. We hear it through the preached word, through the, through the very word of God. And beloved, lest you, you doubt that you have ever heard it, hear it today. Jesus Christ came to save you for himself out of the supreme love of God 
for you. Believe in him for salvation, and you have it. You are his forever and ever. He has knit himself to you and will do so for all eternity. So revelation is the, the first matter of teaching. The second, um, even greater, if we can believe it, is the matter of covenant. And perhaps this is the greatest aspect of revelation, of what God has revealed to us. Or we could say it another way, the reason why God reveals anything to us is because of his covenant. A covenant is a place of safety, a place of security. It is a promise. It is, is between parties where they assure each other of things. Or perhaps one greater assures promises to another on certain conditions. And in our story in 1 Samuel, Jonathan was the one who entered into covenant with David. And it was a place of security and safety. You know, David was on the run from Saul and he ran for safety to Jonathan. Now, in the eyes of the world, that was an incredibly foolish thing to do. Jonathan was the son of the king. Jonathan was the next in line for the throne. If Jonathan knew that Saul wanted David dead, which he did at one point, Jonathan had everything to gain by taking David and bringing him to his father to be put to death. And yet David ran to, to Jonathan for safety. Why was that? I, I assert to you it was not because they were good friends. It was on the basis of their covenant. On the covenant that Jonathan had made with David. David appeals to him throughout this, their conversation. Remember the covenant that you have made with me. Mediate between me and your father. Find out what it is. Give me a way of escape. You have promised, Jonathan. Jonathan affirmed his covenant and reaffirmed it with even greater promises. May this be between my house and your house forever. May the Lord establish your throne. May the Lord give you vengeance over your enemies. And beloved, covenants are a place of safety where we cling to promises. And there are all sorts of different promise, uh, covenants throughout Scripture and the covenants that we can enter into. And of course, one covenant that we are very familiar with is God has established marriage as a covenantal relationship. And in a covenant, it forces us to choose one over another. Jonathan chose David, and that was why he protected him. And in a marriage covenant, we are giving of ourselves to another. We are covenanting to choose them, the, the, our spouse, for the, as long as we live to choose them and to protect them and to establish an intimate bond knit together as long as you live. Choose, yes, above all romantic interests, but choose above all other earthly interests greater than father or mother, greater than our children, even greater than ourselves, our own pursuits, our work, our own desires, 
we've, that's what we covenant, to deny ourselves for the sake of our spouse, not because they deserve it, not because they are blameless, but because we have covenanted and promised to establish that type of relationship. Husbands, have you created that type of security for your spouses, for your wives? Have you given them your heart above all other things? Do you seek to create a refuge for your wives where they can flee for safety in the midst of the the chaos and the struggles and the fears and the anxieties of their own lives? Wives, are you solely and singularly devoted to your husband above all else? Do you love him? Do you show him your respect for him, your honor of him? Not because he deserves it or because he's blameless, but because you have covenanted to do so. Beloved, this is God's design for marriage as a covenant. This is God's path for intimacy and wholeness and security within the greatest of human relationships. But beloved, of course, that is only the case because marriage is a visible earthly representation of the covenantal relationship that God has established between the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. This is a covenant of grace that that we have been extended, not because we deserve it or because we can say like, like David, what have I done? I've, I've done, I deserve this. It's, it's an undeserved, it's a gracious covenant that God has from all eternity extended to us. He, he revealed it to us through the prophets. He, he sealed it with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, which comes upon us, applies it to us. We get a, t- a foretaste of the, the glories and the benefits and the blessings of this covenant. And we await the fullness of it in the age to come. But beloved, this is a place of safety and security and blessing in the midst of our struggles against the world and the flesh and the devil where do we flee? Where, where is our true, true source of security? Well, let me ask another question. Are those three things, the world, the flesh, and the devil, our true, our true threat? Is it not the wrath of God against the sin that is in our hearts? Jesus said, do not fear the one that can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Fear him who can not only kill the body but cast your soul into hell. That is God himself, the holy and awesome God. Where do we run? To whom can we flee? Do we flee to this God, the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the the God who thundered from Mount Sinai, who caused the people to tremble so that they said not even a beast can touch the mountain? Do Do we run to the one who caused the plagues to kill people, that caused the ground to open up and swallow people alive, that caused the enemies to come and slaughter the people again and again, all because of their sin? Can we flee to such a God who is holy? When we look into our own heart, we know that we can't for a second keep God's law. Can we flee to him? Yes and amen, beloved, because of God's covenant. 
because he has promised that he will be our God and we will be his people. Not because of your goodness, not because of your ability to keep God's law, and not because God is nice or tame or any such thing because he is not. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It is because he has covenanted with us that we can be his forever and ever. And he sent his son to die on the cross for us as evidence that he will be faithful to that promise. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Beloved, David entrusted his life to Jonathan. And Jonathan was just a man. David wasn't truly blameless. Have you learned to entrust your eternity to the Lord Jesus Christ? To to greater blessings than Jonathan offered David. From greater threatenings than the wrath of Saul. The very wrath of God. Beloved, God himself has chosen us for his grace in Jesus Christ. If you would only receive it, he sent his son to be knit to us, that in him we would be his people, we would be his children, we would have every spiritual blessing and safety and security for all eternity. Beloved, there is no other safety than this. There is no other blessing than this. There is no other hope. And in this is there There is true peace. Jonathan said, peace be with you. The Lord Jesus Christ said that very same thing. On the night that he was betrayed, he said to his disciples, peace I give you, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. This is where true peace is, in the security, in the stability of God's covenantal promises which are yes and amen in Jesus Christ in the midst of the turbulent chaotic fearful anxiety of this life and even in the order and the blessing of this life our only security our only hope is in God's covenant which is ours in Jesus Christ he and he alone is the sure and steady anchor for our souls oh beloved And this is all ours if we would only believe it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hide yourself in him. He came for you. Believe it. Let it sink deep into your heart and into your bones. Let it transform your mind, your thoughts, your words, your whole life. Live in him. Delight yourself in him. For he is yours. And we are his forever and ever. This is the word that he has spoken to you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your sure promises which are ours in Jesus Christ. Thank you for revealing your word and for reminding us again and again how quickly we forget of your grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. Help us to truly rest in the surety of your promises which you have sealed for us in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.